We are jumping back in this evening with week 10. So if you have your study guides, go ahead and open them up to week 10, which is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Um, Again, if you don't have a study guide, uh, we have extras of those that we'd love for you to have as long as you commit to using that. Um, But if you just want to follow along with the passage and uh, uh, some of the uh, questions and stuff that we have. We have a sheet for that as well. So hopefully you have one of those things in front of you um, as you interact with it here this evening. So Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Uh, let's go ahead and stand as we read that together. Um, and then we'll spend the next 20 minutes or so just processing this lesson together. So Luke 8, starting in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. It it was kept under guard and bound uh, with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the deserts. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command him to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to see Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Go ahead and have a seat. And let's pray as we ask for God's help as we study this tonight. Father, we're grateful to be back together. Uh, We're grateful to uh, jump back into uh, the study that we began here back in uh, the fall. And tonight we're asking for your help as we process a very powerful uh, but a very unique story. A very uh, impactful encounter Jesus had with uh, uh, this one individual. And Lord, it is my prayer tonight that... Uh, for many of our students, they would see Jesus in a new light. That they would see uh, the compassion and the grace mixed with the power and the authority uh, that Jesus displays here. So, um, 
help us as we seek to just unpack that together and as we process it here later tonight in our groups. Uh, So we ask for your favor now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the hope is that between uh, last fall and now you've had a chance to maybe even read through this and start uh, working back through the study guides. That's the whole uh, reason we have them for you is so that you take the time to really uh, process this material ahead of time so it's not the first time you're seeing it. Um, obviously, that's our hope. We know that everybody does that. But uh, for those of you who were able to do this, my hope was that this was uh, uh, an encouraging passage, but one that certainly was going to stretch you in some significant uh, ways. Obviously, there's a lot of different people who are involved. The situation is unique. The response is unique. Um, but I would be curious as uh, you look at everything that's happening in the story here. Uh, again, you're formulating your thoughts and really trying to come to a solidified understanding of what is this passage trying to teach me here about Jesus. So uh, you look at that bottom section on uh, the second page of your notes there that talks about the main point. This encounter teaches me that Jesus X, Y, Z, right? And so the point is so you would kind of complete that statement uh, to some degree or another, and sometimes that might involve multiple statements that seem accurate there. So I'd be curious what, uh, what you came up with in your uh, time of study this past week or this past month as you were looking at this. What kind of ideas did you formulate as to a main point that you see in this particular story? This passage teaches me that Jesus, what? Okay. Jesus wants us to spread uh, the good news of the mighty things that he has done for us, right? So really kind of that summary statement at the end that he gives uh, with uh, the former demoniac. Yeah, very good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, authority over what? Over everything. Yeah, he has authority over everything. And in this story, we see it particularly uh, within the, the spiritual uh, the spiritual realm, uh, but it is a sign that, yeah, his authority is much bigger and much broader than we uh, can even imagine, because we've seen him uh, display last semester. You remember we saw Jesus uh, having uh, mighty authority over all kinds of uh, illnesses or diseases, sickness, right? Now we're seeing uh, his authority and his power over uh, the spiritual realm as well. What else? Any other main point ideas that you came up with? Then you're definitely getting to the, the heart of these things, right? So even as I was processing it this week, really I think the, the two themes that kind of continue to come to mind is this idea of power and authority, right? It teaches us that Jesus has power and authority that is over the spiritual realm. It's power and authority that is life-changing, right? We're going to talk about that for this guy in particular. Um, but it would be a mistake to not see also how that story ends, right? Because really, this story makes you wrestle with your response to the power and authority of Jesus. Uh, we're going to get there in just a moment, but we're going to really uh, help see ourselves in the story and ask ourselves the question, what do I do when I come face to face with the power and authority of Jesus? Because if we look at the story, we see there are two very different responses to that power. And so my goal tonight is just to kind of walk back through the story, give you a little bit of color and uh, understanding of what's going on here. But also to really unpack that truth about Jesus's power and authority and how we should respond 
to it. So let's jump back into the story and we'll, we'll kind of walk back through it here uh, together tonight. So starting in verse 26, right, we see uh, that Jesus and his disciples, it says that they're sailing across, uh, this would be like the Sea of Galilee here, and they are going across into the region of uh, the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. Now, this is a very unique encounter uh, because there's one word, uh, it doesn't necessarily, it, it comes out in the story, but there's one word that's really central uh, that provides all kind of issues uh, that are on display in this story. And it is the word unclean. Unclean. Uh, in the Jewish culture, one of the most important things, and I think we talked about this, especially in the fall with like things like leprosy. Uh, one of the most important things for a Jewish person was to be considered clean. Why? Because to be considered clean meant that you were able to uh, be in right relationship with God, but you were also able to worship God, right? You were able to offer sacrifices. You were able to do things of worship. If you were considered unclean, you could not do those things until you were considered clean. And so this was a big stain and blemish if you were considered unclean. Now, that's really interesting because this story presents all kinds of threats to uncleanliness. Um, and I'm curious if you can pick up on some of those different things. So what are some of the things that are uh, maybe to a Jewish person considered unclean in this story? Yeah, Leah. Okay, so you wore not clothing anyone else? Okay, uh, so talking about the, the guy there. So maybe we can even just like hit on that particular the reason these things are happening for him is that he is he, he's possessed by an unclean spirit, right? So that's the one thing that is clear in this story. What is uh, controlling the, the main figure in the story outside of Jesus is the fact that his life is being controlled by unclean spirits. The other words that we use for that in scripture are, are, are demons, right? So um, this story is going to present a lot of questions in your mind about demons. And my desire for you is to not have you be distracted by those things because to focus your attention on those is going to distract from the larger purpose here. So it's not wrong to ask questions. We'll try to address some of them as we go along. But um, to understand that this is a man who is not under the control of the power of God, but the, the power of Satan who has this man enslaved um, under his control. So uh, an unclean spirit. What are other unclean things we see in this passage? The pigs. If you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs were considered an unclean animal. The, the Jewish people were not allowed to eat a pig. That was off limits to them. But even just being around the presence of pigs was considered unclean. We see uh, Jesus bringing them into a region where we got pig farmers, right? Uh, this is kind of a unique thing that the disciples are entering into. What else is unclean in this story? Yeah. Okay. In particular, where is he bound? Where does it say he's living? So this kind of gets to what Leo was saying, what you're saying here. Where is all this taking place? Among the tombs. If there's something else that was considered unclean for Jews, it was to touch or be around the presence of a dead body. <laughs> 
And here you have a guy who is living. He has made his home. He is homeless. And yet his home is among the tombs. His life is surrounded by dead people. Right? This is... This story kind of, in many ways, is like a, a horror story brought to life. They're landing here. He, he, this guy is living among the tombs. He's possessed by an unclean spirit. I mean, this is, this is kind of a morbid scene that uh, Luke is painting for us. And maybe the last thing we could point to in terms of the unclean uh, aspect of this is really the unclean territory. You wouldn't maybe necessarily know this, but this region of the Gerasenes, or the country of the Gerasenes, is what we would call Gentile territory. This is not where uh, Jewish people live, but non-Jews live, which would be considered kind of an unclean region, right? So you have an unclean territory, you have an unclean spirit, you have an unclean area with the tombs, and you have unclean animals. Can't make this up, right? This is about as bad as it gets. And you got to think for Jesus and his, or you, uh, Jesus's disciples in particular, you're like, what in the world are we entering into? Seriously. And we see that this whole reason they cross over to see here is this encounter with this one guy whose life has been turned upside down. You know, in our, our culture today, we really, we make light of demons. Uh, you know, they become a form of entertainment. Uh, they become a source of satisfaction for us, whether it be in video games, whether it be in movies. We enjoy being, you know, scared by those things, whatever it may be. And Luke presents us here in a totally opposite world. This, this, is, this is meant to paint a really grim picture for us. I mean, think about what this has done to this guy. This is nothing to laugh about, nothing to be entertained by. This guy's life has been enslaved because of this situation. Notice what it says, right? He's worn no clothes, right? He has, li- he, he has not lived in a house, but among the tombs, right? He had made his home among the dead. We learn later on that this guy, uh, when this demon really seizes and takes control of his life, he has to be kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, which we learn were actually of no use. There's some level of supernatural strength here. That word that is, oh, am I still on? Oh, there we are. Must be cutting out. My battery might be dying. That's okay. We'll keep going. Um, I'm just going to turn it off because that's not going to be helpful. Um, so for this guy, that, that word that's often used to describe his being under control is this word subdue. It's a word that was used of animals. You think of, I don't know if any of you have been around like horses before, but like horses, uh, there's something you have to do called, you have to break horses, right? Uh, to get them to really submit to you. That's the same type of word that is being used here in this case to get this guy to operate the way they want to. But they could not. Nobody could subdue him. Nobody could control him. We don't know for sure, but I mean, this, this guy obviously at some point had family, right? He is the son to somebody. We don't know. He might have had a wife. He might have had kids. His life has been destroyed because of the power of Satan. And we think about the fact that this guy made his home and his existence among the tombs 
In many ways, this guy was dead even though he was alive. Uh, we could, in many ways, call him almost like a zombie-like character. And if we're honest, if we were to think about the way the scriptures talk about our lives apart from Jesus, if we think about our lives under uh, the authority of something else, the scriptures say that our life apart from Christ means that we are under the control of the prince of the power of the air. If you were to look at Ephesians chapter 2, it calls us in our sins dead. It says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Alive, yet spiritually dead. And under the power of Satan. In other words, to some extent, we can see ourselves in this guy. And the way that his life has been changed and turned upside down forever. And so I, I paint all that picture for you to, to understand and to really kind of relate and sympathize with the, the gravity of what's happening in this story. This is no small thing. His life is one of isolation. It's one of shame. It's one of slavery. And that's one that anybody apart from Christ can relate to. And Jesus approaches this guy Asks him, what is your name? It's not that he doesn't know this guy's name, but he's doing so to draw out the severity of the situation because when the guy responds, notice he doesn't respond in his human name. The demon, speaking through him, says, my name is Legion. And that, that word Legion you see in your study helps there is a word that was often used by the, the Roman military. It would describe uh, a unit of soldiers of 6,000. Now, we don't know if that's the exact number of demons that are controlling this guy, but it's to show the absolute severity of what is at stake here. And he responds to Jesus, begging him, commanding uh, not to command them to depart into the abyss. The other uh, gospel writers say that does not want to uh, does not want Jesus to destroy them before the appointed time. In other words, they know that their days are numbered. They're trying to say to Jesus, "Hey, Jesus, you know the rule book. You know there's a time for this. It's not now." And so what do they do? Verses 32 and 33, they make the request. They understand that they have to go somewhere. So rather than uh, just being told to go into nowhere, they see this herd of pigs. Why they request to go into the herd of pigs, I don't know. I'm here to tell you there's a lot of questions in the story I can't answer for you. Uh, apparently it's better than nothing. And so they say to themselves, what about the pigs? We'll take the pigs. And Jesus says, okay, go, depart, go to the pigs. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 33, demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and, and what has to be one of the most terrifying and yet humorous scenes in all of Scripture, this herd of pigs, which Mark tells us is 2,000 pigs, driven crazy, rush down this steep embankment, the steep cliff, into the sea, and drown. I mean, you just, I mean, talk about bobbing for apples, right? Just bobbing pigs, just everywhere, right? All that bacon, all those baby back ribs, gone. No more. 
And some of you are thinking already, wow, you're cold and heartless. And before you call PETA on me, right? PETA like the organization, not PETA bread, in case that's confusing. Think about what this is showing about God's care, particularly Jesus' care for the human soul. Think how far he is willing to go for the sake of redeeming one human life. It's a reminder to us that Jesus cares just as much about the one as he does the many. And yes, that includes the lives of pig. This is appropriate in comparison to what God says in terms of uh, the value of human life. And so while we might have all kinds of thoughts and opinions on this, what I would want you to remind yourself of tonight is this. Think about the extent to which he has gone here to save and redeem and change forever the life of one soul. It's incredible. It's an incredible transformation. And we see in this here, the response. The response. Notice verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I mean, think about it. This guy was like the, the central figure of the urban legends, right? This is the guy that would be talked about in town amongst the kids. Like, oh yeah, you know the creepy guy who lives among the graves? That guy? And now these people are coming and saying, hey, yeah, you know that guy? That guy's different now. Something just happened, but he's no longer the same. And so you have this flock of people now coming out of the cities to this region to see what is going on and when they get there they see this guy he's sitting he's clothed and he's in his right mind he's completely different they're like looking at him he's looking back at them like hey guys and what's the response of the people they were afraid. They were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him what? To become their king? To become their ruler? To become their new magic worker? No. They asked him to depart, for they were seized with great fear. One of the most amazing things in this story is that the people of this village were almost more afraid of Jesus than they were of the demon-possessed man when he was at his worst. Think about it. The, the farthest they made the demon-possessed guy go was to the, to the tombs outside of the city. To Jesus, you got to get in your boat. you got to leave. you got to get as far away as possible. 
this power, this authority, it is too much. You need to leave. And if we think about this from our point of view, and if I were to to personalize this for some of you here tonight, some of you are living this way with Jesus right now as well. Maybe you've come to church most of your life. Maybe you've only been coming to church for a while. As we've studied the power and the authority of Jesus, you see to yourself, okay, this guy is different. His authority is strong. His power is amazing. But I recognize that it's a threat to me. Because if I were to give in to that, if I were to really submit my life to that, that means that that power and authority is going to change me. It's going to require me to to change my life. I can't let that happen. And so rather than submit and embrace and really welcome that authority, you don't see it as good, you see it as a threat, and you say to Jesus, I'm going to hold you at arm's length. I want nothing to do with you. You need to go. You need to get yourself in the right space. I don't want it. And yet for others of you, you can relate to the guy who's been changing this story. What happens to him? Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with Jesus. Where else could he go? Right? What did he want more than anything was to be with Jesus. I mean, talk about a trophy for Jesus to, to, to take around with them and to, to show people, hey, look at what happened to this guy. Right? And does Jesus say that to him? Hey, hop in the boat. Let's go. Let's, let's take this tour so people can see how amazing. No. What does he say to the guy? <laughs> I, I love that he says no, right? You're like, wait, what? This guy wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says no. And that's because Jesus has a bigger purpose for him. We don't know this for sure, but according to the Gospels, there's a very real chance that this guy, uh, if you look at the chronology of Jesus and his uh, ministry, this guy became essentially the very first missionary to the non-Jewish world. Because what does Jesus say in verse 39? He says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Oh, it's back on. I don't know if it's back on. I'm going to put it on. I hear it kicking. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Two opposite and contrasting responses to the power and authority of Jesus. One that holds Jesus up at arm's length and says, no, I will not allow this in my life. And the other that allows it to change him and say, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want for me. And I will proclaim your goodness. I will proclaim to whoever, wherever, how much you have done for me. And so the question for you tonight, students, as you go to your groups is, where do you see yourself in that story? How are you personally responding to the power and the authority of Jesus in your life? And depending on how you answer that, how are you then living that out?
So my hope is that you can have some honest, humble discussion in your groups tonight about this. So let me pray for you as you go. Father, thank you. Thank you again for tonight. Thank you for your, uh, your power. Thank you for your authority. Thank you that Christ, well, he is not a weak Savior. He is a powerful Savior. He is one who is able to change every aspect of our lives. And so I pray that we would never see his authority and his power as a threat, but Lord, to embrace it as good and as powerful for our lives. Lord, help us to see the true Jesus. And may he have his way in our lives. And may we be quick, Lord, to proclaim just how much he has done for us. Bless our time of discussion now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.